chapter number 12, Luke chapter number 12. I was talking to pastor just the other day and I said, you know, some people in a way would say, well, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, that's the easiest, easiest Sunday of all to preach a message. And in ways it is because we have the greatest thing to talk about, the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in ways it's not because there's so much to talk about. We have to talk about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our Lord is so good. There's not a single one of us that couldn't really get up here. And when we really gave time to think about it, we could really talk about the goodness of God in our lives. And when we talk about this goodness of God, we're not just talking about the things that he has given to us that we could hold, that we could touch, that we can look at. We're really talking about the goodness of God. It, it goes far beyond those things. The true goodness of God is not even in measurables. It's not even in tangible things. It's not in physical things that you and I can see or hold or grasp. The goodness in God, of God is oftentimes in the things that we tend to allow slip from our minds. When we think about that song that was just sung, I pray that that truly is your testimony. I never forget the day that the Lord saved me. But if we were really truly honest with ourselves and with each other, the truth is is that there are days where we may not forget, but it's not in the forefront of our mind. We know what he's done. We claim salvation. If someone were to ask us, have you been saved? It's not like a, I don't, I don't know if I've ever done that. No, it, it's a yes. But it doesn't mean it's been the first thing on our mind. It doesn't even mean that it's been in the forefront of our mind. Often, we have given it very little thought. We are people who often talk about so many things. And yet what we talk about is so few And so little, so meaningless in the scalp of eternity. Luke chapter number 12, Jesus talking here to a group of people and is asked a question beginning in verse 13, which leads him into a parable. A parable that many of us have heard multiple times. Luke chapter number 12 and verse 13, and the Bible says, And one of the company said unto him, Master, Speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, of course, Jesus speaking, Man, who who made me a judge or a divider over you? In other words, what he's saying to this man is, Who who gave me authority to be an arbiter? Uh, Who gave me the authority to divide up anything that's yours? He was almost asking him a question, a puzzled question as to, What makes you think that that I have anything to do with that? Verse number 15, he says unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And we all say amen to that as Christians, but sometimes if we're not careful, we live our lives very differently. 
we live our lives in a way that is focused towards the possessions that we have. We live our lives, even as Christians, in the mindset of what do we have financially to give. I'll support the ministry in what I financially have. What, what tools and resources do I have to give? And God here is telling us and reminding us, it's not in the abundance of things which he possesses. Many times you've heard this saying that could be thought towards this verse, and we'll continue reading in just a moment. It's not about quantity, it's about quality. You may be the most gifted and talented person, have five or six or seven different gifts and talents. The abundance of the possessions. But if you have one talent and you give it wholeheartedly, entirely to God Almighty, it's just as good as the person who maybe has four or five. Think about the widow's mites. She had two mites, but she gave everything she had. It's not about the abundance of our possessions. It's about what we're doing with them. I've been talking to the teenagers. We've been walking through the book of Ephesians for the past several weeks. Ephesians is one of those great books of the Bible. One of those true uh, Paul-written epistles where he starts with doctrine and he ends with practical living. If you ever look at a, a book of of Paul's that has been written, he will almost always entirely start with doctrine and when he gets to a point, he'll switch from the doctrine and say, now here's how you apply it. Because of what God has done, here is what we should do. The great book of Ephesians is written in that way. The great word, the key word of Ephesians, or the key phrase in Ephesians, if you will, is the phrase, in Christ. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 is written in that way. It's about everything that you and I, who know Christ as our personal Savior, everything that we have in Christ. You get to chapter number 4. And Paul's no longer talking about what we have in Christ, but what we should be doing because of what we have in Christ. See, oftentimes we know, and we could say it here, and we could say that it's not about the works that we do. Works will never get you to heaven. We know that, right? Amen? It is by the grace of God and by faith through grace alone that we have salvation, that we have the gift of eternal life. We would say, amen, it's not about the works that we do. That's right. And then when we get saved and we come through church, we get to this point where it's almost like it's about the works that we do. We can't work our way to be called a good Christian. It's by faith. Faith is the beginning of the Christian life. Faith is the middle of the Christian life. Faith will be the end of the Christian life. It has always been about our faith in Him. And Jesus goes on to write a parable here, saying in verse 16, And he spake unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This I will do. I will pull down my barns, and I will build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods, laid up for many years. 
Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall that, those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. We read this passage of Scripture and immediately our minds have been conditioned to start to think about our wealth, our resources, our assets. But you know, we have many Christians who live their lives and they've laid up treasures. They've even tried to lay up treasures in heaven, but not for God, for themselves. Think of how many times you and I, we've served God, we've gotten up, we've gone to soul winning, we, we, we've gotten up and we've sang in the choir, we've passed out the track, we've put money in the offering plate, we've witnessed, we've served long hours, and God bless all you ladies who serve in that nursery. <laughs> we've worked with young people, we've worked with teenagers. If you've ever worked with teenagers, God bless you. We've maybe ran a bus route. And there's been times, and if we're truthful with ourselves, we're all guilty of it, where the service we did was not intended this way. We could say, oh, it wasn't even so that I would be seen or that I'd be pat on the back. And that could be very true. But just because it wasn't this way doesn't mean it was that way. It could be this way. It's about ourselves to ease a conscience, to make ourselves feel good. And the Bible says here that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This, this man in verse number 17, he thought to himself saying, what shall I do? Wringing his hands, worrying, concerned. And why was he worried? Why was he under this complex? Why was he trying to figure out what was going on? It wasn't because he didn't have. It wasn't because he wasn't uh, having the things that he needed. The problem that he had was he had too much. And his mind and his perspective and his thought was all about his, his pleasure and his enjoyment, and his peace of mind, and his comfort. And sad to say, we have far too many Christians, even in their service, who serve with their self in mind only or first, and not towards God. I've been asking the teenagers for a few weeks now. I've been asking them a simple question. It's been on my heart and mind. What are you doing with the things that you've been given? What are you doing with the things that you've been given? I've tried to help them understand. I'm, I'm not talking solely about wealth. I'm not talking about prosperity. I'm not talking about skills. I'm not talking about abilities. I'm not talking about even physical things. I'm talking about everything that we truly have been given. When we think about it as Christians, we come to Easter Sunday, we begin to think that on that third morning, as the ladies came to that tomb, and the stone was rolled away, death had been defeated, 
God had victory over it all. Hell, death, and the grave. And it was ready to be given to you and to me. What are you doing with what you've been given? If you're here tonight and you have come to the place in your life where you realize that without God and God alone and faith in Him, that hell would be your eternal home. If you've gotten to the place in your life where you say, God, I am a sinner and that I need your salvation and your forgiveness of sins of what you did on Calvary's cross to save me. What are you doing with what you've been given? All the things that accompany salvation. So often we talk about salvation about a one simple thing. It's over 56 things in the Bible the Bible says that accompany with salvation. We could spend all night going through them. The fact that we have a comforter that was given with salvation. We have the adoption of sons. We've been adopted into the family of God. We have hope. We live in a world of people who have no hope. I'm not talking about the fact that there would be no hope just for this life. We have hope for all eternity. And yet we are the people who walk around the most hopeless sometimes. Despaired. Worried about who the President of the United States is. I don't care who the President of the United States is. My God is God and He sits on the throne. He's in charge of everyone. And may I remind you that the Word of God says that kings and dominions are all under His power. And we ret. We, we fret and wring our hands because, oh, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. What's going to happen to our nation? I don't know. But I know who does. And I know who holds tomorrow. We have hope. We have peace with God. It's able to lay our head down at night and know that if something were to happen in the middle of the night, our souls would be forever in eternity with God Almighty. Lasting joy, true joy. And again, Christians walk around sometimes as some of the most miserable people. I remind you that we have access, access to God Almighty, that we don't have to bring in sacrifice into the holies of holies. We don't have to go through a priest to receive access to God. No, God says in His Word that if we know Him, we already have a relationship with the Advocate, Jesus Christ Almighty, who sits on the right hand, and we can come boldly into the throne of grace to find help in the time of need. All of these things and so much more you and I have. And I ask you this question. What are you doing with what you have? What am I doing with what I have? I was thinking of the other day, this October will mark 20 years since I answered the call to preach. 20 years in November since I preached my first message. What have I been doing with what I have? Has it really truly all been given to God? Is it all towards Him? And this man says, What shall I do? What shall I do? I know. I'll build a bigger barn. I'll keep it all stored. 
I'll rest, be happy, and I'll live a good life. There's some Christians. You've been blessed. You're plenteous. You have your barns full, and God still looks and desires to to even bless them. If you're serving God, He desires to bless you. And again, that's not a, a, a prosperity gospel with you serve God, He blesses you type thing. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is you know that some of you and some of us, we have been blessed by God before and more than our barns could ever hold. And our mindset is, I'll build a bigger barn and I'll just wait this thing out. I'll say to my soul, soul! Look at what the word says. The Bible says, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, be merry. Live a joyous Christian life. Your soul's been saved. It's on its way to heaven. We have all these things stored up. And what are we doing with it all? I want you to look at three things in this passage real quick with me as we walk through it. I want you to see the first thing here in verses 18 and 19. It's the wrong perspective. The wrong perspective. Look at verse number 18 with me. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and will build greater. There will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul that has much goods laid up for many years, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. This man's perspective is one of self. Self-comfort. Self-satisfaction, self-ease, I mean, everything. It is all about him. It is all about his goods, all about his concern, all about his enjoyment, all about his ease, all about his... It's all about him. And never once does he say, hmm, I wonder what God would have me to do. How many Christians... If we're really truly with ourselves, there are many days, many days. Oh yeah, we remember the day. We never forget when Jesus saved us. Store that in the back pocket. But it's all about me. Oh, I'm focused on my job. Oh yeah, I'll give my tithe and and some offering. And I may even give to the missions fund and, and maybe even a little bit to the building fund, but... It's about me. Well, did you give someone a... Ah, I just get so uncomfortable giving someone a track. I get worried. I get concerned. I get afraid. I don't know what to say. What if I make a fool of myself? What if I embarrass myself? Yeah, but they're dying. Yeah, but, but someone else can tell them, right? No, they're dying and on their way to hell if they don't know Christ as a personal Savior. I understand, but, but maybe another day. Maybe when I'm more prepared. Maybe when I'm more comfortable. Maybe when I don't have so much on my mind. Maybe when there's not so much going on in my life. I'll talk to them then. Yes, but they're dying and they're on their way to hell and God could come back today and they could spend all of eternity in hell. Well, I'll give, I'll give the pastors... I'll give, them, I'll give their name to pastor. He can go by and talk to them. And all the while, our barn is full... Our soul is satisfied. And we stand before God and we say, eat, drink, and be merry. Because we have the wrong perspective. Our perspective is inward. It's about self. 
This is not something new. Take your Bibles if you could, and if we were to walk through the Scriptures, if we were to go back to Genesis chapter number uh, 3, we would begin to see that Satan from the very beginning had Adam and Eve make this perspective change. It was no longer, it was not about what God said, it was, look at what he's keeping from you. It's your pleasure that you're missing out on. Go on to their children. Cain and Abel, and and there it is. It's not about what God had said that blood sacrifice must be given. Surely he'll be okay with my work and my fruits and the good that I have done. And if he won't accept it, then forget him. I don't want anything to do with him either. He'll accept it. And Cain looks at God and says, What do you mean you don't like my fruit? What do you mean you don't like it my way? What do you mean that's not good enough for you? I worked hard for that. I labored for that. I did the work for that. And you won't accept it? Who are you anyways? You know what, Abel? I don't like you either. I'll just kill you because you did it God's way. It's not something new. This perspective has been from the very beginning of sin. Itself. If God, if we don't like it God's way, well, it's okay because our way is just as good. If we acknowledge God and His way, well, we'll weasel our way in there. We'll say before God, God, I, I know that You're the only way for salvation. I acknowledge that. I know that You have made a way for me to have eternal life. But what I do with my money and my kids and my talents, and my job, and my opportunities, well, that's my business, not yours, God. Why? Because we have the wrong perspective. Not only was there a wrong perspective, but look with me in verse 20. There was wasted prosperity. The Bible says here, And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods. It's not a little bit. This, this man did not have little. He had much. He was a prosperous man. And he wasted it. It goes back to what we said in the introduction here. Can we, I mean, let, let, let's be truthful. I'm speaking to myself here. The Bible talks about how I am rich in the mercies of God. I have the riches of His grace. I have all these things. I am prosperous because He loved me. I am prosperous because He died on my cross. I am prosperous because He, through grace and mercy, forgave me for my sins. I'm prosperous. I have so much... I'm not talking about physical things. I'm not talking about money or wealth. I'm talking about salvation. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit that abides with me. That I can go through life every day with the Almighty God dwelling inside of me. The one who penned this book. The one who led men to pen this book. That is the God. The very author of the scriptures himself. And I don't bother to consult him when reading the Bible. If you, if you and I were, were one of these people who said, you know, we live in a world where people are looking for these get-rich-quick ideas. The ideas of how, do you, how, how can I make good money real quick? 
Well, let me read this guy. He came up with a way. And let me read that guy and let me come up with a way. Oh, if I could just talk to so-and-so because they've made a lot of money and figure out how they did it. But we as Christians have the most prosperous thing we could ever have. And we pick it up and we never give any heedance or credence to the Holy Spirit when we do it. He dwells inside of us if we know Christ is our Savior. You know what God says about the Holy Spirit? He's the earnest of our salvation. What that means is this, and I'm not an accountant, and I don't understand all this accountant terms and all these things, but basically what it is, is it's the collateral. God has said, so that you know what I have told you is true. So that you can understand that the hope of eternal life you have. So that you know that, that heaven is your possession. So that you know that I have done and I'm good for my word. Not only will I give you my son, but I'll give you myself to dwell with for your entire life after coming to know Christ as your Savior. He's the earnest. He's that thing that we can know is that still small voice in the back of all of us as Christians that says, God loves you. What more could we be doing? How much more is there that we could be doing? And there was wasted prosperity. Can I be honest with you? Speak honestly? Not that I haven't been. You know, we all know that when preachers say that, it's like, What's he been doing this whole time, lying? No, I haven't. It's just a phrase. I've wasted a lot of the prosperity God's given me. I can see your face. Two thousand four, Valley Victorian of Woodrow Wilson High School, Beckley, West Virginia. Emma Lawson, sharp young lady, smart. She was a doctor's daughter. She was going to go to school to be a doctor just like her dad. She was intelligent. She was popular. She played soccer. She, I mean, she was athletic. She was just, she was a talented young lady. She, she was just one of those people that you know that don't have to, to, to really work over the top for, to, for, to get their grades, but yet still does. That's why she was a valedictorian, right? I sat beside her in classes. I talked to her. We would talk every once in a while about church and church things. She went to church. I knew that. Here I am, 16 years old. Answer the call to preach. Know exactly what God has for my life. To be a preacher. To proclaim the gospel to people. To have no no reservations about it. And I can't even talk to the girl just across the classroom because what well, I was too busy with school and too busy with other things. Came home for a break my freshman year. I think it was spring semester. Maybe it was my sophomore year. I was talking to someone and they said, Did you hear about Emma? I said, no. I didn't keep up with things back home. I had went from West Virginia to Knoxville, Tennessee, and it wasn't... 
could care less about all that. She died. Oh, was she in a car accident? No. Well, what happened? She couldn't handle the pressure of it all. She went into her garage on Christmas break. Got into her dad's vehicle and rolled the windows down. Turned the car on and committed suicide. And we say, that's so sad. And all the prosperity of knowing Christ as my Savior, having the comforter, having the peace, having the joy, having all of these things that I know and I claim, I couldn't be bothered to talk to her once. Sure, she went to church, but did she know Christ is her Savior? 18 years ago. And her name still sits with me. She's not the only one. And I'm not the only one. We all sit in this room and we think of names and we think of people and we think of times and we think of opportunities and we think of chances that we have wasted and squandered because of the wrong perspective and because of the wasted prosperity that we all have. And I think to myself, what am I doing with what God has given me? I could live in the past and I could say, well, I'm no good to God. Look at all these wasted chances. But that's not how our God works. Our God is a God of second chances and a God of third chances. And over and over and over, he says, you might not have talked to that person, but here's another one. And we may mess up. And he says, you may not have talked to that person, but here, let me, let me let you, you hear about the goodness of God. From, you can tell this person. Here's a teenager's life that you can impact. And we're, we're missing it. And God gives us a little clue in verse 21 that there's a wrong perspective and there's a wasted pro- prosperity. But here's the truth. If we'll just work purposefully. So what do you mean by that? Look at verse number 21. So is he that layeth up his treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You say, what, what? I still don't understand. It's time we as Christians get to work and take what we have and use it for God and for his glory. I'd like to read a, a little story that I came across this week. I don't know if it hit me because in the title it said West Virginia or if it was because of the thought of what I've been saying. It's an interesting story. It's a true story. It was actually written by someone who had posted it. And it was just it was amazing to me to listen to this. And I got to the end of it. And it's one of those stories that you read and you're like, oh, I, I see this one coming. I know what's happening here. It still speaks to your heart. I'll never forget Easter 1946. I was a 14-year-old. My little sister, Aussie, 12. My older sister, Darlene, 16. We lived at a home with our mother. 
and the four of us knew what it was like to do without many things. My dad had died five years before, leaving mom with seven school kids to raise and no money. By 1946, my older sisters were married and my brothers had left home. A month before Easter, the pastor of our church announced that a special Easter offering would be taken to help a poor family. He asked everyone to save and give sacrificially. When we got home, we talked about what we could do. We decided to buy 50 pounds of potatoes and live on them for a month. Teenagers, if you are, you're one of those ones who fuss about food, you have 50 pounds of potatoes for a month. <laughs> I hope you like potatoes. <clears throat> that would allow us to save $20 of our grocery money for the offering. Then we thought that if we kept our electric lights turned out as much as possible and didn't listen to the radio, we'd save money on the month's electric bill. Darlene got as many house and yard cleaning jobs as possible, and both of us babysat for everyone we could. For 15 cents, we could buy enough cotton loops to make three potholders and to sell them for $1. We made $20 on potholders. That month was one of the best of our lives. Isn't that amazing? i got to pause right there. They did without, they sacrificed, and they said this was one of the greatest months of our lives. Maybe we could learn something from that. Every day we counted the money to see how much we had saved. At night we'd sit in the dark and talk about how the poor family was going to enjoy having the money the church would give them. We had about 80 people in our church, so we figured that whatever amount of money we had to give, the offering would surely be about 20 times that much. After all, every Sunday, the pastor had reminded everyone to save for the sacrificial offering. The day before Easter, O.C. and I walked to the grocery store and got the manager to give us three crisp $20 bills and one $10 bill for, for all our change. We ran all the way home to show Mom and Darlene. We had never had so much money before. That night, we were so excited we could hardly sleep. We didn't care that we wouldn't have new clothes for Easter. We had $70 for the sacrificial offering. We'd hardly wait to get to church. On Sunday morning, rain was pouring. We'd only, we didn't even own an umbrella, and the church was over a mile from our home, but it didn't seem to matter how wet we got. Darlene had cardboard in her shoes to fill the holes, and the cardboard had come apart, and her feet got wet. But we sat in church excited despite how we looked. I heard some teenagers talking about the Smith girls having on their old dresses. I looked at them in their new clothes, and I felt so rich. When the sacrificial offering was taken, we were sitting on the second row from the front. Mom put in the $10 bill, and each of us girls put in $20. We walked home after church. We sang all the way. At lunch, Mom had a surprise for us. She had bought a dozen eggs, and we boiled Easter eggs with our fried potatoes. Late that afternoon, the minister drove his car up in his car. Mom went to the door, talked with him for a moment, and then came back with an envelope in her hand. We asked, what is it? But she didn't say a word. She opened the envelope and out fell a, a bunch of money. There were three crisp 20 bills, one $10 bill, and 17 $1 bills. Mom put the money back in the envelope. We didn't talk 
but instead just sat and stared at the floor. We had gone from feeling like millionaires to feeling like poor white trash. We kids that had such a happy life that we, we felt sorry for anyone who didn't have our mom and our dad for parents and a house full of brothers and sisters and other kids visiting constantly. We thought it was fun to share silverware and see which fork we got or which spoon we got. We had two knives which we passed around to whoever needed it. I knew we didn't have a lot of things that the other people had, but I never thought we were poor. That Easter day, I found out I was poor. The minister had brought us the money for the poor family, so we must be poor. I didn't like being poor. I looked at my dress and worn out shoes and felt so ashamed that I didn't even want to go back to church. Everyone there probably already knew we were poor. I thought about school. I was in the ninth grade at the top of my class of over 100 students. I wondered if the kids at school knew we were poor. I decided I could quit school since I had finished the eighth grade. That was the law at the time. We sat in silence for a long time. Then it got dark and we went to bed. All that week, we girls went to school and came home, and no one talked very much. Finally, on Saturday, Mom asked us what we would do with the money. <laughs> what did poor people do with money? We didn't know. We, we'd never known we were poor. We didn't want to go to church on Sunday, but Mom said we had to. Praise God for that, Mama. Although it was a sunny day, we didn't talk on the way. Mom started to sing, but no one joined in, and she only sang one verse. At church, we had a missionary speaker. He talked about how the churches in Africa were made out of sun-dried blocks, but they needed money to buy the roofs. He said $100 would put a roof on the church. The minister said, can we all sacrifice to help these poor people? We looked at each other and smiled for the first time in a week. Mom reached into her purse and pulled out the envelope. She passed it to Darlene. Darlene gave it to me, and I handed it to Osi. Osi put the entire, offering, the entire envelope in the offering plate. When the offering was counted, the minister announced that it was a little over $100. The missionary was excited. He hadn't expected such a large offering from our small church. And he said, you must have some rich people in this church. Suddenly it had struck us. We had given $87 of that little over 100 and we were the rich family in the church. Hadn't the missionary just said so? From that day on, I'd never be poor again. I always remember how rich I was because I had Jesus. And let's be honest with ourselves. We've all got the wrong perspective. We've all wasted some prosperity. But the truth is, there's still work to be done. And the question that I have for you tonight is simply this one. Not trying to make an emotional appeal to you. I'm not trying to get you to make an emotional decision. It's emotional. God made us emotional beings. I'm not trying to get you to act because of the story about some Poor family in West Virginia. They're all poor in West Virginia. I'm just kidding. I'm trying to draw you to a conclusion of this. We are rich because of what God has given us. 
and we do very little with it. One question and one question only. Husbands, you can't answer this question for your wife. Wives, you can't answer this question for your husband. Moms, dads, the children sitting around you, you can't make this decision for you. And guess what, teenager and young person? Your parents can't make this decision for you. The only person who can make the decision on this question is you and you alone before you and God. And here's the question. What are you doing with what God has given you? Maybe it's the money. Maybe it's wealth. Maybe it's talent. Maybe it's just that hope of eternal salvation. But what are we doing with it? If we're not careful what we've done, as we'll meet God in eternity, we'll stand before Him, we'll know that our sins are forgiven, and we'll have nothing else to show. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, would you forgive me of my failures and my, my sin of not being the witness and the servant for you that I should be? God, would you forgive me of the opportunities and the chances where I know that you wanted me to witness to someone and I failed to do it. Would you forgive me of that? God, would you forgive me of being a poor steward of the hope and the joy and the peace that you've given me? God, would you help me move forward? May today be a day of change, not for me, not for my treasure, not for my peace of mind, not for for my comfort, but God, may it be for you and for your glory. Thank you for the resurrection. Pray that you would help us now. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask two questions. First question is this. Is there anyone here that would maybe say, You talked about peace and you talked about hope and you talked about joy. And I don't know that I have any of that. Well, you can know you can have that with knowing Christ as your personal Savior. Is there someone here this evening that says, I don't know Christ as my personal Savior? I don't know that if I were to die today, I do not know that I would die and go to heaven. I don't want to embarrass you, but would you just raise your hand and say, "Would would you be willing to pray for me? If you'll lift your hand, I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to pray for you. Would you raise your hand and say, I'm not sure. I do not know where I would spend eternity. Would you raise your hand? I see that hand. I want to tell you something. You can know tonight. God has purchased and made a way for you to know that you could live in in heaven for all eternity. All you have to do is accept it. We'd love to take the Bible in just a moment and show you from the Word of God how you could be saved. I'd love to have that opportunity to shake your hand and and allow someone to show you. In just a moment, I invite you to come. Here's my second question. Christian, what are you doing with what God has given you?
many of you know that when the invitation is given, many of us need to come and ask God for forgiveness for failure to do what we should have done and ask God to help us. You lead the way. As we stand to our feet, the altars are open. You come.